Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. You to our message today. Uh, today we're in James chapter uh, chapter five, and we'll be in uh, verses sixteen through nineteen. And with this, we'll be ending, by the way, the epistle of James. We started this, if you were with us, back in January. You know, so it's January, February, March, April, May, uh, all the way through. Now we're finishing up this epistle of James. For those of you that have never gone through the entire book of Bible, in the Bible um, at a time like this, um, this, is, this is a little bit different. And like I said, I got to tell you that when we got into James and Pastor Howell and I were talking about it, we were a little bit uh, concerned just because that we know that the epistle of James, um, we didn't know whether the, the epistle of James, uh, he's very direct. James, is, uh, James uh, tells it like it is. He, he calls sin a sin. And I don't know about you, but I'm actually very thankful for pastors that call sin a sin. Sometimes we need to be reminded what it is. Uh, James had the audacity of believing that as, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, that we should actually be different from the rest of the world. And I think that's also very refreshing. Um, Today we'll be in the fifth chapter of the epistle and we'll be looking at verses 16 through 20. My sermon title, by the way, is, is two words and it's one another. If, if you look through the Bible, there's a number of times that it talks about ministering to one to another, one to another or one another. And again, this is a, a continuation of what James started last week and uh, we'll be reading in the beginning in verse 16. James says this, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, James concludes, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You know, like I said, if you were with us last week, we're actually continuing. Last week's sermon title was God's Greatest Gift. And what we said was that James had saved the best for last that James had given us a number of instructions on how we should live, and then he basically showed us how we should minister to one another. And we said that God's greatest gift really came in, in two parts. The first part was prayer, the opportunity to pray and God hears us, and also to pray for each other. And the second part was just as important, it was that we have each other. We have the church. We have the fellowship. We are better together. And that's what James was telling us. So in keeping with our sermon title today, we have one another. So let's add two of the verses to the verses from last week as they relate. Verses 14 and 15 from last week says this. It says, Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. You know, this is a great gift. If you remember last week when we said this, this word sickness, the Greek word is atheneo, it means to be, to be feeble. It means to be without adequate strength. 
to be frail, to be feeble, to be, to be sickly. And we said last week one of the greatest gifts we have is that we get to, to pray for each other. That's why the Bible says, call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. So this is God's gift. And we're continuing it today by calling it one another. That's, again, a continuation of God's greatest gift. We have each other. If you remember last week, we mentioned Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He said, if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We're, we're together. We minister to one another. We have each other. We pray. We sing psalms. Remember, that was what we said last week. If, if someone's suffering, you, you pray. If, if somebody's cheerful, you, you sing psalms. Either way, we, we are offering it up to the, to the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, this is the teaching from last week, these two verses. And, and I want to continue today in verse 14 and 15. Uh, here is verse 16 from today. The Bible says, confess your trespasses to one another. There's that word again, one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So we see here that James is broadening the opportunity to pray and to be healed. It isn't so much that we call specific people in the church to pray, the elders, the pastors, but we pray for one another. All of us get to have this opportunity to pray for each other. It's not just the pastor. James is saying, you pray. And when you pray, be sure to pray for one another. James is almost saying, we well, don't need Athenaeo. We don't need sickness. We, we can be healed, okay? Or you could say, be healed. If we're charismatic, we could say, be healed. And the church would go, amen, right? The idea is that God is giving us an opportunity here, an opportunity to be different than the rest of the world because we have one another in a very special way. So before I talk much about this, I want to pick up what James is saying about one of my favorite people, and that's Elijah, because Elijah is a character. And we, feed, we see him in, in 1 James, in, in, I'm sorry, in uh, 1 Kings, but I want to read, first of all, what it says today, what James has to say. It says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced the fruit. You know, I, I tell people almost tongue in cheek that uh, I'm not going to pray for the rain. You know, you might be going to Disney later today or you might be having a picnic or an outside wedding. And people will say, can you pray that it doesn't rain? I said, no, I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm, I've read before that there was a guy that prayed and didn't rain for three and a half years. We don't want that. So I want to talk a little bit about this guy, Elijah, because he is a character. Uh, for example, the very first time that we see uh, uh, Elijah is in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. And this is the, during the reign of, of Ahab. Ahab the, Ahab, the evil king of Israel, who is married to this woman named Jezebel. And this is what it says, verse 1. It says, Elijah the Tishbite, Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain these years except at my word. Okay? No more rain. You know, after that, if you read through chapter 17, we see that Elijah ends up ministering to this, this widow of Zarephath. This widow of Zarephath is, uh, is very, very poor. And remember, there's a famine on the land. With no rain, 
you get a famine. There's no food, okay? No food, no water, no cattle, no sheep, no wheat. There's, it's a famine. And this woman of Zarephath, this widow, has this young son, and she decides that she's going to make a, a small cake out of the flour. She has a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and she's going to have a little cake between her and her son, and then they're going to die because there's no food. There's a famine. And Elijah says this. He says, do this first. Make a small cake for, for me. Make a small cake for me, and I promise by the word of the Lord that you will never run out of flour nor oil until it rains again in the land of Judah. Isn't that something? So the idea is that they, they have this deal. And the woman does that. And sure enough, every time she goes to the flower pot, there's flour in it. Every time she pours a little bit of oil, there's still oil left. So Elijah has this, this, this amazing relationship with this woman. Uh, by the way, um, as we read, three and a half years later, there's a few other things that goes on with this widow. It's a very interesting story if you get a chance to read it. Uh, after three and a half years, he comes back to Elijah. It goes back to, uh, goes back to Ahab. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Now again, I said this is, a, this is a pretty interesting story. This is three and a half years later. And Ahab okay, knows that, that, uh, that the prophet basically told him that until he says it's going to rain, there's not going to be any rain. So Elijah presents himself to Ahab. And I, I love it. There's a little bit of humor here in the Bible. Ahab saw, sees Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Right? So Ahab thinks that the problem is actually with Elijah. No, the problem was with Ahab. That's the troubler of Israel. The person that's causing this issue is the king of Israel who should know better, who has the Torah, who has the law. He has the law of Moses, but he's leading the people with his evil wife Jezebel to paganism. They're sacrificing to Baal. So what happens next is pretty cool. It's in verse, it's chapter 18, and we have what we know as the, the uh, showdown at the OK Corral. Okay, or as the Bible calls it, the, uh, the showdown at Mount Carmel. And this is pretty interesting because what we have is we have Ahab with 450 prophets of Baal. Okay, and we have Elijah on the other side. Elijah thinks he's all by himself. He thinks there's no other prophets. He doesn't realize that Obadiah, okay, his friend, had actually squirreled away a hundred of the prophets into different caves and had been feeding them and taking care of them. So there's still a hundred other prophets, but, but Elijah thinks he's all by himself. And it's a fascinating read. Scripture says, Elijah came to the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, is God, then follow him. You see, Elijah is presenting to the people the true choice that we have today. If you believe the God of the Bible, then follow him. If you believe the Bible to be true, then follow what the Bible has to say. If not, you can watch the view. Right? you got five very intelligent women on The View. They can tell you how to live. They can tell you what's what. I mean, just you can make a decision. You can follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you can follow the Bible that's been written over 3,500 years ago, been proven to be accurate, that has prophecy in it. It's just amazing. It tells the story of Jesus that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again, that he's coming again. You can believe that. Or you can watch The View. You have a choice. And this is basically what Elijah is presenting to the people. It really is. You have two choices. You know who God is. You can follow him or you can follow Baal. 
So Elijah proposes a challenge. This is a God challenge. He suggests that they, they get two bulls. And for the prophets of Baal on the one side, what they should do is they should prepare the bull, meaning they cut it up, okay? They put it on some wood on an altar, okay? But don't light a fire under it. And he says, and then what we'll do is we'll see who God, who's God answers, okay? This is what he does. So Elijah let the prophets of Baal go first, okay? And those prophets, they call out, the Bible says, from morning until noon. And this is what they say. They say, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped around the altar which they had made. Elijah mocked them. I love this. See, Elijah's got style. I mean, he really does. Elijah mocks them and says, cry aloud, for he's God. Baal is God. Either he must be meditating or he's busy or maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened, okay? So there's style here. Elijah is kind of taunting them to say, cry louder, cry louder. You know, the New International Reader's Version, which my friend Pastor Hal likes to read because it's what, what is it, third grade reading level? Third, third grade reading level, okay? If, if you read that version from time to time, it has an interesting translation. Because in this it says that perhaps Baal is busy or maybe he's gone to the toilet, okay? Maybe he's gone to the toilet, okay? It's kind of a, it's kind of a version written for boys in middle school, okay? And the Bible says that Elijah kept it up. He keeps on taunting them, okay? And they start cutting themselves with, with knives, okay, in order to bleed these, these prophets of Baal dancing around, dancing around. So why is this an important story? Because there's a choice that the people of Israel had to make. Were they going to go with God or were they going to go with Baal? There's 450 prophets on one side and you have man of God, Elijah, on the other side. God had told them that he was a jealous God. This is what God had said in, in uh, Exodus, through Moses. God said, you shall make no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, nor on the earth beneath it or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So now it's Elijah's turn. You've got to read this. So Elijah takes 12 stones, one stone for each one of the tribes of Israel. He puts the stones down, then he gets some firewood, he puts the wood on top of it, then he gets the bull, prepares the bull, puts the, wood, the bull on top of it, and then he calls over and he says, bring a large bucket of water. Now remember, there's a famine in the land, so there's not a lot of water. But Elijah has a point he wants to make. Elijah's got style. Okay, so he says, get a bucket of water, big bucket of water, and they pour the bucket of water on top of the bowl and on top of all the wood. Now, I was never a Boy Scout, but I can tell you that if you want to light a fire, you don't get wet, wet wood, right? I mean, water is kind of the opposite of what you want, right? He does it four times, four buckets of water, so that it says there's a trench around the altar and the water actually fills up the trench. Then Elijah says this, he says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Elijah says this, and what happens next? Well, you can know what happens. Whew. Fire comes down from heaven. Fire falls from the sky. 
The Bible says that the wood and the stones and the dust and it, the fire licked up all the water. It was, in the, it was in the trench. And when all of the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amazing story, isn't it? I mean, it really is. This is God is turning the, the people's hearts back to him through his prophet Elijah. You can read the en entire story. So would you say that this Elijah that his prayers were effective? Yeah, I would think. I would think so too, right? It takes us back to our scripture today because our verse says this, this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He's a pretty righteous man. He was righteous, this prophet Elijah. That's why his prayer was effective. But now look what it says in the very, very, very next few verses. It's there in your bulletin. It says, verse 17, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I'll change that. I'll, be, I'll do the third grade reading level. Elijah was just like you. Elijah was like you. He had the same nature. Elijah wasn't a superman. He had the same nature. Elijah said, no rain. It doesn't rain for three and a half years. Elijah says, pour water on the bull. Four times, God brings fire. Whoosh. Fire burns up the bull, the wood, the stones, all the water. So let's look at your outline today because I'm going to give you some keys to effective prayer. The first one is the first key, is that the person, the person is more important than the technique. It's man before the method, saint before the style, okay? Elijah had style, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. He introduces himself to Ahab by saying he's a prophet of God and there would be no rain. That's technique, that's a tactic, that's style. Then he taunts the prophets of Baal says, cry out louder. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's meditating. That's that style. He tells them to cry out and encourages them even the more. He taunts them. That style. The thing that made a difference, however, was Elijah. It wasn't his style. See, Elijah didn't bow down to Baal. He knew who he was and he knew who God was and he honored the God of heaven. He honored the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't care if Ahab wanted to kill him. He would listen to God. And the Bible says that he was like us. He had a nature like us. The Bible, he wasn't, Bible says that uh, Elijah was just like us. He wasn't a superman. He wasn't supernatural. He had flesh and bones. He, he wasn't born in Bethlehem. He wasn't born of a virgin, okay? You can read the story. Oh, by the way, what's interesting is that this man was just like us because right after he t has this, this fight with the prophets and he kills, by the way, all 450 prophets, um, he's a mighty man. He just accomplished this. We just saw what God did. Jezebel, this woman, this wicked woman says, I'm going to kill you. And he takes off and runs. He's just like us. He's just like us. He's frail. He still has weaknesses. He's just like us. So we say that the effective prayer is about a person. You know, I don't know exactly what kind of prayer becomes effective, but I know that it's an incredible privilege to pray. It's amazing. Really, when you think about it, it's amazing that we have the opportunity to pray to the creator of the heavens and, and the earth. We are able to pray for each other. The book of Hebrews tells us that it was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives us this access. And not only that, it tells us that we are now priests and kings. We have the ability to minister in the throne room of God. We can pray and we are immediately transported to the throne of God and he hears us. Okay, 
So that was, that's the first key. Let's look at the second key. The second key is pray in line with God's will. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, I want to tell you that praying in accordance with God's will is not as hard as many people try to make it. See, God wants us to pray. That's our job. God does the rest. You know, all too often we pray and we want to pray for somebody that's sick, for example. We're afraid to pray for healing because we think somehow if God doesn't heal them, then somehow that puts a black mark on God. Well, God's a big boy. God can handle that. God tells us to, to pray. You know, we misunderstand. God tells us to pray for each other. That's his will. We pray in accordance with the will of God. And his will is that we pray for each other. God will handle the rest. The Bible says that if we pray according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Now, that should make you shout. I mean, it really should. That God hears us. There's six, seven billion people on this planet. And anyone at any given time can raise their voice and pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God hears them. And here's the secret. God wants us to do this in community. He wants us to pray for each other. When you pray, pray for each other. I pray for you, you, you pray for me. You're more likely, by the way, to pray in accordance with God's will when you pray for each other rather than yourself. You see, when you pray for yourself, your selfish ambitions, your hidden desires, the things that you really kind of want for yourself come in there as well. That's why it's so much better to, to pray, to have other people pray for you. I remember, uh, this was a, a while ago, we were in Washington, D.C., and I was, it was time for me to, to leave one job and, and find a pastor somewhere, somewhere that I needed to go. I was working in Washington, D.C., and I quite frankly tell you that Christians shouldn't spend any more time than about two years in Washington, D.C. My two years was up. I was done with it. I wanted to get out of there, and we were interviewing for jobs, and of course, Carol and I are both interviewing for these jobs. And, and there was a couple of churches that we were really interested in, but I wanted other people to be praying because it's difficult for us to pray because these two churches were very nice churches, but they were separated by, by miles. One was in Maryland, not too far from Washington, D.C. The other one was in Palm Beach Gardens that was less than 30 minutes away from my daughter. So I, I knew where I wanted to go. I mean, that was easy, where I wanted to go, but I wanted people to pray so we could make the right decision. I had a choice of being close to Washington, D.C. with 158,000 uh, people employed by the federal government, 85,000 attorneys, and where 93% of the people vote Democrat every single election. Or I could be closer to my daughter. Well, we made the decision, but I, we had people praying for us so we would make the right decision. Of course, I ended up going to Palm Beach Gardens. So let's get into the second part of our message, and that's the message of one another. And it says this, in verse uh, 19, it says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover, cover a multitude of sins. You know, these, these final two verses, the final two verses in the epistle of James tells us how important it is to minister to, to one another. Your outline tells us there are two important realizations, two aspects to consider. And that's the, the next part, which is well, how we minister to one another. There's two parts to it. The first is that we want to minister truth. And secondly, we want to be, understand that we are ambassadors of Christ. 
The fact of the matter is that every Christian, every Christian is a minister. The word minister just means to serve. We serve each other. The word minister means servant. And when we minister, we want to speak truth to them. You know, this actually goes back to the very first, uh, first verse of today, where the James tells us to confess our sins to one another. And that's what he wants us to do is to be transparent with each other to be able to give each other permission to speak into our lives. One of the best ways to do that is to uh, understand when people have something to say to us, to listen what they have to say. We may not like what they have to say, but we try to listen to it. You know, like my son and my daughter are both in their 40s now, and they're at the position in their life where they've got important jobs, jobs of authority, jobs of responsibility, but they're still under authority. And sometimes those people that are over them will speak into their lives and they'll, they'll tell them things. Uh, I was just talking to my daughter the other day and she was talking about some, some words that, they were, that were, they were given to her about her job and how she should perform and, and she felt they were just wrong. They were wrong. And see, that's what happens often. People will tell us things and we just feel that they're wrong. You can often find that people, what they say to you is, is jaundice, it's prejudicial, it's cynical, it's myopic. However, the advice we have is to sit for a minute and glean from that. Find out if there's any truth in what's being said. And that's what happens is we want to speak truth into each other. And that goes with our scripture today. It says, anyone that wanders from the truth, speak into them if they wander from the truth. It shows us the, we show the error of their ways, the error of our ways. Consider at least for a moment that what somebody is saying to you may in fact be true. They're reminding you of what the Bible has to say. We try to minister truth. The second thing for all of us is called, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. And actually that verse is found in the book of Corinthians. This is what Paul has to say. He says, um, I've got it here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's that word. We're Christ's ambassadors. As through Christ was making his appeal through us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. One of the ways we can be Christ's ambassadors is to remind people that we've been forgiven. And if we've been forgiven, God can forgive you as well. You know, sometimes I'll be talking to somebody. If they don't know I'm a pastor, I actually have an advantage. If they, if they know I'm a pastor, they're going to change the way they ask their questions. But if they come to me and I find out that there's something in their life that they're, they're struggling with, could be an addiction, could be a sickness, it could be a habit, maybe a bad habit, maybe a, a bad relationship, but they're struggling somehow. One of the things I can minister to them and tell them, I know what you're going through because I had a problem just like that. I had the same kind of problem, but you see what happened to me, and I try to turn it to God, is that God gave me the answer. I turned my heart over to God and God changed my life. I'm different today because of God. I'm ministering truth to them. Because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are now ambassadors of Christ. That's why the Bible says, He who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. God makes his appeal through us so that we have this ministry of reconciliation to each other. Amen? What a great God. 
What a great God we have that gives us this ability to not only minister to us, but allows us then to minister to, to one another, to be able to provide that, that grace, grace upon grace. Just as God has given us grace and mercy, we have the opportunity as well to extend grace and mercy one to another. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.